And from what I've felt in the Holy Ghost the last couple of days, perhaps there are people in this house today that storms are brewing in your own life. And I believe nothing greater could happen in this service this morning for us to walk out of those glass doors having heard the tender voice of God say, Fear not, it is I. Be not afraid. Amen. I don't come... I don't come this morning with a fancy sermon to blow your theological socks off. I simply come today with this in mind, and I preach to you on this thought. He saw me. He saw me. If you go help me preach, would you shout amen? amen? God bless you. You may be seated. The more than 400 names of God throughout Scripture are descriptive of God's identity and His nature in and to our lives. His provision declares Him to be Jehovah Jireh. His healing declares Him to be Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is called in another place, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. His attentiveness and care declare Him to be Jehovah Ra'ah. His presence declares Him to be Jehovah Shama. His righteousness declares that He is Jehovah There are many other names of God that I could go on record to mention today. I won't do so primarily for two reasons. First of all, I don't have the time. And second of all, I can't pronounce some of them. I even heard a preacher preach one time that he was Jehovah Nicotine. Because he always seemed to show up right in the nick of time. Somebody said amen. Amen. But one of my favorite characteristics of the nature of God is... His all-seeing ability, which declares Him to be Jehovah Roi, the God that sees. The founding fathers of our great country firmly believed in this aspect and characteristic of God. History reveals evidence of them referring to God's all-seeing nature as the eye of providence. They respected and revered God's providential care so much that They commissioned a Swiss artist to incorporate the all-seeing eye into the design of the seal of the United States of America. Their wishes were fulfilled, and that seal containing a symbolic reference to the eye of God was placed on the $1 bill. Therefore, every time you pull out a $1 bill, the eye of providence is meant to serve as a reminder that God sees you and that God is watching. May I submit to you on this Sunday morning that it is not just His Word and it is not just my money that declares the all-seeing nature of God. But my testimony also declares that God does not suffer from a loss of vision. I can look back over my life and find it to be true that not one time has my situation escaped God's sight. My trouble not one time has slipped past God's attention. We often say of ourselves, out of sight, out of mind. What we do not see, we do not think about. And I'm so glad on this Sunday morning that God does not have that problem. For David said of the Lord, What is man that thou art mindful 
of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. Ladies and gentlemen, if he cares enough to think about me and if he cares enough to visit me, then I have to believe that he also sees me through every storm that I face, through every trial that comes against me, through every sin that comes in my life. Psalms chapter 113 and verse number 5 said, Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Now, when I was a child, they, uh, I used to hear an old song that was sung that said, We shall behold him. Just as he is. And at the risk of sounding a little old-fashioned today, I still believe it's going to be a good day when we finally stroll through pearly gates and walk down streets of gold and look upon the face of the one who saved us and gave his life for us. Amen. That would have been a good spot for an amen. Amen. I still believe it's going to be a good day when we finally see Jesus. The cares of this life will all be behind us. The bad times will all be over for good. I believe it was John that said it something like this. We do not know what we shall be, but what we do know is this. When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. I am looking forward to the day when I look upon his face, when I behold him. When I see him face to face, the one who lifted my burdens and wiped away my tears and saved my soul and pulled me out of my sin, I look forward to seeing him face to face. For we shall behold him. The old song said, what a day that shall be when my Jesus I shall see. And as exciting as it is to know that we're going to a place called heaven, as exciting as it is to know that we will see him face to face, I also believe it's equally exciting that until I behold him, I rest in the assurance that he is beholding me just as I am. I'm going to see him. I am going to look upon his face. But until that day comes, ladies and gentlemen, put a smile on your face. Pick up your head, for he is watching me. He is beholding me. He has got his eye on me. Jesus said himself in Matthew 10 and 31, Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. It was from that very scripture that the lyric was written. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he is watching me. As a child in my home church back in Muskogee, Oklahoma, there was an elder who would often get up and he would sing, but the Hughes, he'd sing one of two songs. God forbid he learn a third one. But it was always going to be one of two songs. He's going, he'd sing, I'm going to rise and fly. Or he would sing, watching you, watching you. There is an all-seeing eye watching you. All the more vividly, I remember getting all creeped out in my pew, wondering who in the name of God was watching this hyperactive preacher's kid. Watching you, watching you. There is an all-seeing eye watching you. I then discovered that it really goes hand in hand with what the Word of God said in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
Ladies and gentlemen, his eye never rests and it never wearies. His perspective is never skewed and it is never slanted. His attention is never paused or interrupted. His outlook is never restricted or restrained. His viewpoint is never obstructed or obscured. For nothing escapes God's vision. One of the most, and I know I'm, I'm just I'm starting simple this morning, but just hang with me. One of the most beautiful examples of this concept in Scripture exists within the storyline of a Sunday school favorite. The occurrence is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and John, and each of them get an, give an added bit of insight into this great miracle. After Jesus had performed the marvelous feeding of 5,000 with just two fish and five loaves, the Bible tells us that Jesus commanded His disciples to get into a boat and sail to the other side of the sea. Following Jesus' dismissal of the crowd, He then goes up into a mountain to pray. As night begins to grow late and morning draws near, these boat, uh, this boat full of disciples, they find themselves in a fierce storm. While the winds start swirling out at sea and waves start rocking their boat back and forth, Jesus remains on land. And as that storm swirls around his friends out at sea, the Bible says that Jesus from the shore saw them toiling and rowing. He saw them toiling and struggling with their oars. And at four o'clock in the morning, Jesus turns white caps into a red carpet, if you will, and walks on water just to get where his friends were. Now, in John's gospel, he gives a detail that the other gospel writers left out. John tells us that the disciples had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs from the shore. Now, I'll admit to you, I'm from Oklahoma, and big words don't find their way into my vocabulary very often. I spent 45 minutes of my study time trying to figure out what the word furlong meant. Closest thing I could come up with was I ain't going to be able to preach this message for long. But I didn't think that's what John meant. I then got my dictionary out. And I began to read and I found that the word furlong was a term by which they measured distance. And I discovered that about 25 or 30 furlongs was approximately 3.5 miles. Therefore, John was telling us from the place where Jesus observed them on land to where the disciples were struggling their way through a storm at sea, it was approximately 3.5 miles away. Now, science says that it would be absolutely human, human, uh, humanly impossible for Jesus to see them uh, at 3.5 miles away because science says the earth curves out of sight at 3.1 miles. So according to the limitations of human ability, these troubled disciples were completely outside of visual range. These troubled disciples were four-tenths of a mile too far gone. They were four-tenths of a mile past all hope. Four-tenths of a mile beyond the reach of safety. Ladies and gentlemen, but can I tell you the eyes that glared out across the sea that night, they were not normal. They were not average eyes. They were, in fact, the all-seeing eyes of an almighty God. 
These eyes were not hampered by hindrances. These eyes were not disadvantaged by conditions. They were not hampered by hindrances or fooled by fake facades. These eyes looked through the limitation. They looked past the opposition. In fact, they were the same eyes that saw Nathaniel sitting under the tree. They were the same eyes that saw the multitude and therefore moved his spirit to compassion. It was the same eyes that the Bible said beheld the woman with the issue of blood. It was the same eyes that saw the fate of the four men that ripped off the roof of the church to lower their friend down into the presence of the Lord. It was the same eyes that saw the lame man at Bethesda. It was the same eyes that looked up to Zacchaeus in his sycamore tree and said, come down. I've come to go to your house today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm thankful that our God is an all-seeing God. And I'm preaching to somebody on this Sunday morning. Maybe circumstances and problems of life have you feeling like you have sailed four-tenths of a mile past all hope. And the devil is whispering in your ear and telling you, you've done too much. You've gone too far. You've maxed out on God's mercy. You're beyond the reach of God's grace. There's no way God can love you anymore. You've outrun His love. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost and tell you it may seem like you are out of range but you are not out of sight. God still sees you right where you are. You have not gone too far. You have not done too much. God still is mindful of where you are today. You see this principle is hard for our human minds to comprehend and compute because our ability to see is limited by distance. Have you ever have you ever used binoculars? I'm in South Texas. Surely there's a couple of deer hunters in the house today. One of the things that you put into your pack is binoculars because it helps you overcome the obstacle of distance. It allows you to see further than your natural eye is capable of seeing. And for humanity, distance is sometimes welcoming, but it is not always endearing. We don't always welcome distance. For distance sometimes is a loss. Distance oftentimes is separation. It becomes a barrier. It it often is a disconnect or a detachment. But ladies and gentlemen, God is not limited by restrictions. And He is not bound by the same limitations that we are bound by. Man, I've come to tell somebody, our boundaries define how far we can go. But they do not define how far God can go. Distance might work against me, but distance is no hurdle and it is no hindrance with my God. For He is both here and He is there. That's the beautiful thing about the God we serve today. If I could see Him here, then I would think that He was not there. But I rest assured that although I cannot see Him, He can see me. When I can't hear Him, I know that He hears me. When I don't understand Him, I know that He understands me. When I can't feel Him, I know that He is near to where I am. 
I don't know what storm is going on in your spirit today, but the storm may try to distance you from the master, thinking that he'll get somehow get you off of his mind. But I've come to tell you there is no distance that can keep you out of God's sight and off of his mind. You say, Brother Hart, you, you don't understand. No, I understand. Uh, the storm surrounds you. The winds uh, have rocked you. Uh, the enemy's howl of intimidation has struck fear in you. Uh, I understand the wave have almost overtaken you and the waters have risen against you. But what I also understand uh, is that where the eye of God can see, uh, there is always hope. Amen. There is no... Uh, gust of wind. There is no clap of thunder that can dim the glimmer of God's hope. I I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how dismal it looks. Ladies and gentlemen, if God can see you in it, there is hope that God can save you from it. Amen. I've come to preach hope back into somebody's spirit today that even where you are, God sees you in your struggle. God sees you in your frustration. God sees you in your fear. I believe on this Sunday morning, He's not only seeing you, but He has come to rescue you out of your dilemma, out of your problem, out of your frustration, out of your heartache. Let me hurry. It's 11.45. Let me move on. Not only were the disciples beyond visible distance, but the Bible also tells us that it was 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, maybe it's different in South Texas, but in Oklahoma, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't often get up to check it out, but at 4 o'clock in the morning, it's dark. In fact, in Oklahoma, they'd say it's plum dark. Oklahoma, plum's not just a fruit. It's an adjective. Four o'clock in the morning, it's plumb dark. And again, science says that it would be absolutely humanly impossible for Jesus to see them at four o'clock in the morning. For the blackness of the night would blind human eyes from seeing anyone or anything. Science says that if if the disciples had been 50 feet in front of Jesus... Still, human eyes wouldn't be able to see anyone or anything. I'm glad to know that darkness has never scared our God. Darkness has never made Him wonder. Darkness has never made Him back up and scratch His head. Darkness has never caught Him off guard or unaware. It's never made God tremble. In fact, as I studied, I found that although God made darkness, we read in the beginning that He separated light from darkness, I found that God doesn't even see darkness. book of Psalms, chapter 139 and verse 12 says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Now, Let me show you something. We stand on the bow of our boat with wind swirling around us, devastation all around. We stand and we are frozen in fear, uncertain of what's going to happen in our circumstance and in our life. And we stand on the bow of our boat and we search for an answer. We search for hope, but we are surrounded by darkness. 
We can't see the miracle. We can't see our promise. We can't see what God wants to give us, for we are blinded by darkness. Everywhere we look, it's on every side. It's on every turn. We are blinded by the darkness around us. But ladies and gentlemen, that's from the inside looking out. When God looks in from the outside, can I tell you that He has a much different perspective. His view is far different than our view. Our view is limited. Our view is is, is, is obstructed. But when God looks in, He looks through your darkness. He doesn't identify the hopelessness. He doesn't identify the bleak circumstance. But He looks through what you are blinded by. And He doesn't have His eye on the darkness like you do. He has got his eye fixed on you. You see, we're watching the darkness. We're watching the bleak circumstance. But I've come to preach to somebody today and tell you, God's not worried about your darkness. God's got his eye on you. He is watching you. He's concerned about you. If I could, it's not my notes, but if I could just spend this for a moment. We are living in a world today where we are surrounded by darkness. There is darkness on every hand. And it would be easy for us to get worried and concerned and fearful of what lies ahead of us. But ladies and gentlemen, God is looking into our storm. God is looking through the darkness of our day. And God is not concerned. God is not worried. God is not scratching his head wondering how can I make something out of all this. Ladies and gentlemen, God still got everything under control. For just maybe the disciples called themselves a business meeting and said, Hey, boys, it looks like we're about to die here. This storm is great. The winds are strong. The waves are rocking us greatly, and we're we're going to die. We might as well just jump ship and get it over with quick. But maybe... Maybe one disciple lifted up their voice and said, No, surely if he sent us here, Surely he won't forget about us. Surely he will remember us where he sent us to. May I remind you the disciples were not facing this storm as a consequence of wrong choices. They were not enduring the winds and the waves because of their, because of their ill deeds. God sent them into that storm. God told them to get into the boat. God said sail to the other side of the sea. And here the storm is. Therefore, I would venture to assume that just one of them perhaps had enough faith to believe that if God sent us here, then God will save us. God will remember us. God will deliver us. I know it's bad. I, I know the world's gone crazy and, and sin's running rampant and, and, and evil is, is seeming to have its day. But ladies and gentlemen, may I remind you, let's not get over, overwhelmed by the darkness. Let's not get consumed by what seems evident. I'm holding to the promise that if God sent me here, He will remember me. And sooner or later... If I can just keep rowing, if I can just do everything I know to do. Come on, I'm preaching to a saint of God today. Don't you get discouraged. Don't you get down and out and depressed. You keep rowing your boat. I know it might be difficult. I know it might be a struggle. But you keep worshiping. You keep praying. You keep being everything you know to be. For sooner or later, Jesus is going to come to where you are. Oh, somebody ought to lift your hand right now. 
I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to be dismayed. I'm going to keep on rowing. For surely Jesus will remember me. I'm hurrying. For as Jesus saw them, it brought forth a response from him. Something about their misery made Jesus step into a mission. Their troubled waters became his treaded waters. You see, there's just something about our God. Many of you could, could, could state it better than I could, but I found it to be true in my life that God just doesn't leave us alone to fight our own ways to the problems of life. I found that, that don't, don't misunderstand what I'm preaching today. God didn't always move as quickly as I'd like for Him to move. But I found that sooner or later, God's going to step off of the balcony. He's going to step off of the shore and say, I can't leave them to struggle their own way through this. I can't leave them to die in their situation. I, I, can't, I can't leave them to fight their own way through their problem. I've got to come to where they are. And Jesus steps off of the shore for no other reason but to get to where his friends are. He defies the laws of physics. He defies the laws of distance just to get where they were. He defies what they think is possible to show up in the middle of their storm. I tell you today that it's just as Jesus saw the disciples as they struggled their way through their storm. I must tell you this morning that he also saw me one day. Long before this world as we know it ever existed, the pure and holy God stepped onto a balcony of space. There in awesome solitude he stood all alone. Not one faint star gave him light. Just endless rolling. The blackest night. But then somehow through all of the darkness, the eye of God could see. He saw mountains high and lofty. He saw valleys lush and green. He saw babbling brooks flowing. He saw white flowers as they grew. He even heard a robin sing its morning song. But then out of nowhere, he felt the strange compassion. It was as close to love as pain could ever be. And standing out there in his tomorrow, he saw me. He saw me in his likeness. He saw me just like him. He saw me pure. He saw me clean. He saw me holy. He saw me spotless, white as snow. At the same time, he saw me bound in heavy chains. At the same time, he saw me shackled in sin's fetters. And he longed to set me free. But he knew that if I became like him, he must become like me. Ladies and gentlemen, it was for that reason that the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. It was for that reason God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. 
It was for that reason. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Ladies and gentlemen, God not only saw us as we struggled and strained our way through this sinful storm, but God said, I'm going to go beyond just seeing them. I'm going to prove to them that I've got a saving power about me. And I'm going to come to where they are. But the Bible says His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with. He came, the Bible said, to seek and to save that which was lost. And the old song says it best. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left the crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. I'm preaching to somebody as I close quickly. I'm preaching to tell you that God has not left you to die in your sin. God has not left you alone to figure your own way out. But God stepped off of the balcony of heaven. He stepped through time. He stepped through impossible circumstances just to show up in your storm, just to set you free. For in the case of the disciples... Jesus conquered the impossible task of walking on water to get to where they were. In the case of you and I, He didn't walk on water, but He did conquer the impossible task of being born of a virgin just so that He may come to where we are. In both cases, He could have chosen the path of convenience. He could have chosen to remain on the, store, on the shore and leave them to figure their own way out. He could have chosen to remain in the luxurious comforts of glory and leave us to die in our sin. But he rejected the path of convenience and said through an impossibility, I'm going to prove to them my love. Through an impossibility, through what they think can't even happen. I'm going to prove that I see them, but I also see a way of saving them. Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Somebody begin to thank God. Lord, thank you for being mindful of where I am. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for seeing me, oh God. You haven't left me to die in my circumstance. You haven't left me abandoned in my storm. But God, you are mindful of me and you see me right where I am. It's 11.59. Give me two minutes. Jesus approaches their boat and disciples, they see someone coming. They, they think it's a spirit. They think it's a ghost. But then Peter, Peter lifts his voice. Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, Jesus, if that's you, God, if this is your presence that I feel on a Sunday morning in the middle of August, Jesus, Lord, if this is you, bid me to come unto you on the water. I could be wrong, but... I just happened to believe that what happened in that moment was Peter suddenly got the revelation of just how far Jesus had come for him. Wait a second. He stepped off of the shore 
He has walked on water. He has conquered the impossible. Just to get right here in the middle of this storm. To save me. He's come all this way. Just for me. And it's as if Peter says, Lord, you've come far enough. You've done your part. You've conquered the impossible. Now I must come to you. Now I must step out of my storm. I must step out of where I've been. I must now come just a few steps toward you. Peter steps out of his boat, and perhaps to his amazement. Peter does what no other ordinary man had ever done. Just like Jesus, Peter begins walking on water. I don't know how many steps he took. I don't know how many moments passed, but in Sunday school they taught me that he took his eyes off of Jesus. And Peter begins to sink. Back into the same waves that he had just been saved from. He begins sinking back into. Back into the same waters that moments earlier he dominated. He was on top of. But now Peter is sinking. Peter is drifting. In the very presence of God, Peter begins sinking. So oftentimes in our humanity, we, we understand that God has a mission for us and we... We, we, we identify His presence as Peter did. We respond to His presence. and we, we lift our hands and we allow the presence of the Lord to touch us and strengthen us. But I found that the emotion of Sunday morning church doesn't last forever. Emotion runs out, feeling wears off. And come Monday afternoon when all of hell seems to break loose in your life, You've got to have something more than feeling and emotion to hold on to. Tuesday morning when things begin unraveling at the seams, you've got to have something to hold on to. Or like Peter, we begin to sink. Peter, as he's sinking, I would venture to assume with hands lifted high. for a soul today that you know what it's like to feel the presence of God. You know what it's like to respond to Him. But what I'm preaching today is God sees you where you are. But He's come to save you. He's come to save somebody from their fears this morning. I know maybe it's a little different. We're not running the aisles and swinging from chandeliers this morning. I just know what the Holy Ghost spoke into my spirit last night. God's come to save somebody from their struggles, the worries of life that you don't know what you're going to do with, the circumstances that seem to have your mind and your thoughts, your joy, your peace that seem to have it all consumed. On this Sunday morning, the Holy Ghost is calming someone's troubled waters. He's stepping into somebody's storm and he is waiting to hear the words come out of your mouth. 
Save me. Hands lifted all over the building today. Come on. I wonder would somebody begin to lift their voice to the Master right now. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Don't let him pass you by today. He would have passed them by, but Peter lifted up his voice. Jesus, if this is you. God, if this is your presence I feel today. Come on, I'm inviting someone to step out from where you are today. I'm inviting someone to stand to their feet right now and declare in the Holy Ghost, I'm not staying in my boat. When Jesus says come. Come on, hear the voice of the Master today as He says come. Hear the voice of Jesus as He says come.